0: Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and this is today's episode of our Truth Tidbits as we continue reading through the Scriptures this year and commenting to see what the Lord might be saying to us to try to understand His Word and what He has for us. I thank you for tuning in, and I pray these are a blessing to you. Today we are in the book of Revelation, and we are continuing in Revelation chapter 11. We are on the section of the two witnesses, which is obviously a a very intriguing part of the book of Revelation, especially for any that have any sort of prophecy inclinations. And so we want to discuss this in some more detail today. Before I begin with the discussion, I would like to read this section of Revelation chapter 11 one more time, and then we will move into discussing further about these two witnesses. Revelation 11, beginning in verse one. John is writing and he says, Then I was given a reed like a measuring rod, and the angel stood, saying, Rise and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. But leave out the court, which is outside the temple, and do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles, and they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months, and I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth, and if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies, and if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. These have power to shut heaven, so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy, and they have power over waters to turn them to blood, and to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. We'll stop there again for today, and hopefully within this and maybe the next one or two episodes, we will conclude this topic on the two witnesses and continue to move forward into the book of Revelation. We are taking it line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little, just like Isaiah spoke about. And we're trying to do this some due diligence and give it its just weight and esteem that it is due. Now, we've already talked about this section in quite some detail thus far in the previous episodes. And we looked at these two witnesses. We looked at some degree of their ministry. We looked at the duration of their ministry. We talked about how they will be invincible and unable to be killed or harmed during the course of the duration of their ministry. We talked about what they will be doing and how they have proven character in order for God to allow them to be able to bring judgments and bring plagues upon the earth as often as they will. So we left off discussing and leaving the questions that still yet need to be answered. First of all, the identity of them. Who are they? Why are there two? And what is their mission? So we want to pick up with some of that in this episode, and we will conclude that in future episodes, hopefully only one or two. But today I'd like to look at the identity of them. First and foremost, we must observe this principle always in the study of Scripture. We cannot go beyond what is written. In this section, we are given their identity, but we are not given their names, I want to make that distinction. Verse 4 of Revelation 11 gives us their identity, but it does not give us their actual names. Therefore, in this coming discussion that we will have about possible candidates for these two witnesses, we must keep in mind that all we can do is try to let scripture interpret scripture, and surmise from what the scripture does tell us the best guess or estimation that we can make. But we must not go beyond what is written or add to or take away from what John has written and God has inspired to be a part of his word. So I want to caution us in this discussion I do realize that this is controversial, and I do realize that there's a lot of curiosity in the midst of Bible students that are intrigued about these two witnesses as to who they are. So we will consider the three primary possibilities and candidates, if you will, and we will look at scriptural bases that may support each and every one, and then we will simply let scripture interpret scripture, and then we will just accept what the scripture says, not go beyond what is written, and realize that God has revealed all that he intends for us to know. And we must be content with that. There are mysteries that are yet to be revealed to us, but God has chosen to give us these details that we will begin to look at and explore. So, as we explore this, keep in mind that these are candidates for this position. There are three primary candidates among most all Bible scholars, Bible prophecy teachers, and serious Bible students, especially concerning the book of Revelation and understanding what it says. So there are three. We believe that two of these three are these two witnesses. However, again, we're given their identity, but we are not specifically in Revelation 11 given their names. So just keep that in mind. Of these three candidates, let's look at each one. The first one we want to look at is Elijah. Now, Elijah was an anointed prophet of God in his day, and almost 100 percent consensus among most all scholars and most all Bible teachers and most all Bible prophecy experts is that Elijah is one of these witnesses. That is almost 100% certain also, which we will see from the scriptures that we are about to read. I'd like to begin by looking at two passages from Malachi. In the book of Malachi, which was in the English Bible, the last of the prophets in our English Bible, before we get to the New Testament, in the book of Malachi, chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, it says this, "...behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before, before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight." Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver and he will will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. So here we read about the prophetic word that actually we know to be applicable to John the Baptist who came in the spirit of Elijah. But this is talking about the messenger that God is going to send before he comes. Now, turn over one chapter to Malachi chapter 4. And in Malachi chapter 4, I want to read Malachi chapter 4 verses 5 and 6. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. So before I go into discussing more about Elijah here, I do want to make this point. One of the prophetic words about what Elijah will do when he comes is that he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Now, I believe this has an application, of course, in restoration of family and family relationships, fathers and and mothers and their children and, and so forth. But I also believe that we can understand it this way as well. Because in the Old Testament and in most of the scriptures, when we read about the fathers, that can also be applying to the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so there may be an application here that he is going to restore the Jewish people, the children of Abraham, in the bloodline, in the flesh, to the patriarchs, to the Abrahamic covenant, to the truth, and to the sincerity of the faith of Abraham and the righteousness of Abraham by turning them to the Lord. And the same thing, turning the fathers, the Jewish leadership, to the children to teach them the truth, etc. So during the time of these two witnesses, during the time of their prophetic ministry, they will also be serving alongside and with the sealed that we read about in Revelation chapter 7 that are 144,000 of Jewish men, 12,000 from each tribe. Now, a lot of people talk about lost tribes of Israel today. Well, they're not lost to the Lord, and I don't believe there are really lost tribes per se, but they're certainly not lost to the Lord. He knows exactly who's of the tribe of Levi, tribe of Judah, tribe of Reuben, tribe of Gad, etc. He knows them all, and he's going to have 12,000 from each tribe, and they will be ministering alongside these two witnesses, whoever they are. So here is one place that does say clearly, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Now, Some may say, well, that was speaking prophetically of John the Baptist. There is application to that? Yes, Jesus himself affirmed that. So let's go now to the Gospels. In Matthew chapter 11, I want to begin the reading in verse 13. Jesus is speaking here and he says this, For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John and If you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So in other words, Jesus here is declaring that, yes, John the Baptist came as a prototype of Elijah, as a representative or in similar fashion to Elijah. He was of the same spirit of Elijah. That's what he's saying here. We're going to see that that distinction, though, that he's not saying he is the real Elijah that was to come. What Jesus is speaking of here is that John came in the spirit of Elijah, which also fulfilled the prophetic word that God gave through Zacharias, John the Baptist's father, at his birth and his circumcision which you can read in Luke chapter 1, because there was a prophetic word about him coming and operating and functioning in the spirit and power of Elijah. And that was a prophecy from God over John the Baptist spoken through Zacharias, and you can read it in Luke chapter 1. Notice this also, the Jews are expecting Elijah to come, and they were at the time of john the baptist and jesus arrival i want to read this in john chapter 1 verse 21 through 25 the the pharisees the jewish leadership has come to john the baptist who is baptizing people as unto repentance in the jordan river and so they're they're coming to him and they're saying who are you what you know where did you come from and who do you think you are etc that kind of thing And so in verse 21, it says, and they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? Why did the Jews ask him that? Because they knew the prophet Malachi said Elijah was coming. Continuing on in the reading in John 1, he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. We'll stop right there in the reading. We'll stop there in that particular passage for right now. But what I want you to see is that John is asked by the Jewish leadership who are expecting Elijah to come if he is Elijah. Now, John does not consider himself to be Elijah. John knows he's not the real Elijah. And so he answers, I am not. But the Jews are expecting Elijah to come. If you'll remember, at one point, when Jesus asked about who people say they are, one of the disciples answered him. He said, well, some say you're Elijah, because the Jews are expecting. Every Passover Seder that the Jews have, still to this day, they set a a place for Elijah. And as a part of the official Seder service, maybe one of the children or someone will go to the door and see if Elijah has come yet. So the Jews are expecting Elijah because the prophet Malachi said that God would send Elijah. Now, I want us to turn to Matthew chapter 17. And in Matthew chapter 17, we see Jesus speaking here to the disciples. And he says this, Jesus answered and said to them, indeed, Elijah is coming first, and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah has come already, and they did not know him, but did to him whatever they wished. Jesus here is speaking about John the Baptist again, but John the Baptist now has been killed. He has been beheaded. Jesus knows that, and so Jesus clearly says Elijah is coming. So now we know that both the prophet Malachi and the Lord Jesus himself specifically declare Elijah is yet going to come. So we have no, there's no question about that. It appears with all certainty, although we cannot say absolutely 100%, but for the most part, 99.9% does appear that Elijah will be one of these two witnesses. Notice that he will minister as in the office of the prophet, similarly to what he did when he lived on the earth back in the book of Kings. He will be able to, to destroy enemies with the fire, which is what we saw him doing in his ministry back then. He will do some of the same things he's done before. He will have a fiery ministry. He will have a strong prophetic ministry. And if you'll remember at Mount Carmel, he called together all of them and he said, listen, why are you faltering between two opinions? If God is the real God, then serve him. And so he was very fiery with that. He prayed a short prayer. God supplied the fire and proved himself to be the true God and, and so in that passage, Elijah was able to work to call the people back to repentance and to be servants of the most high God. He will be doing the same type of ministry as one of these two witnesses if he is one of those. And it does appear that he will be. Now, there are two other strong candidates and these are the ones that most people typically disagree on, but most people are in the camp of one or the other. The two remaining that are the top candidates or possibilities that most people at least consider for the second witness is either Enoch or Moses. So let's look at reasons biblically for both candidates. And then I'd like to sum this up by going back to what Revelation identifies as these two witnesses and end with one final thought concerning that. Then in the next episode, I'd like to pick it up with the discussion of why are there two, and what is their mission? So, let's consider Enoch first. When we discuss Enoch here, we are talking about Enoch the seventh from Adam, meaning the seventh generation from Adam. And we find information about Adam's family in Genesis chapter 5, it gives us the details about those that were descended from Adam. And Enoch is the seventh generation from Adam. So let's look at Genesis chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. Genesis 5, 21 says this, Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. This is wonderful. I love Enoch, this seventh from Adam. Notice that he had a relationship with God. God. The Bible says he walked with God. In other words, he was doing life with God. He was treading all around. His entire lifestyle was about God. It was wrapped up in God. It was surrendered to God. He brought God into every part of his life. He prayed. He had a daily prayer. He had a daily relationship. You see, friend. That is always the heart of God. He wants relationship with us. He doesn't want our duty. He doesn't want some religious ceremony that means nothing and is not from our heart. When we go to church or or fellowship or whatever and we're singing songs of praise to the Lord, they need to be meaningful. We need to mean those and praise Him from our heart. Otherwise, they're vain and they're empty and they're useless. They mean nothing to the Lord. He's not after that. He's not after show. He's not after some ritual or some duty. He's after the truth in the inward parts, David said. He's after what is true inside, what we really feel and how we really mean about him, what he means to us, and worshiping him in spirit and in truth. That's what he wants. That's what he longs for. And so Enoch had a relationship with God. Well, in this case, Enoch was the very first person raptured. He actually was taken up by God. Now, not only does Moses tell us that here in the writing of Genesis, but we also are told that, and it is confirmed in the New Testament by the author of Hebrews. Let's look at that very quickly in Hebrews chapter 11. And in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5, it says this, By faith Enoch was taken away, so that he did not see death, and was not found, because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So here the author of Hebrews confirms to us about Enoch the seventh from Adam. He did not see physical death at that time. He was taken up by the Lord. He had a testimony because of his relationship with God. Everybody that knew him knew that he pleased God. And the author of Hebrews tells us here, you cannot please God unless you have true faith, sincere faith, faith that believes that God is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So Enoch is an awesome example of that and of real real relationship with the Lord, even all the way back in the book of Genesis before Abraham and before the law. Praise be to God. It's always been the heart of God to have relationship with people. So Enoch is a viable candidate as one of the second witnesses. He was the only other person besides Elijah that never died a physical death as of yet. I want to read a couple of other places. I want to read Jude chapter 1. Jude only has the one chapter, and so I want to begin the reading in verse 14 so that we find out a little bit more about Enoch. In verse 14 of Jude 1, it says this, Now Enoch the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So we see more about Enoch here in the fact that Enoch obviously was a prophet. He prophesied, we are told, and he saw the Lord's day. He saw the day of the Lord. He saw 6,000 plus years ahead of what time he may have lived in. He was seeing ahead. He saw the Lord coming with 10,000 of his saints, That is found in Revelation 19. He saw the Lord executing judgment. That's where we are in Revelation when we're talking about the sealed scroll and the unraveling and the unsealing of the seals on the scroll, the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, the bowl judgments, etc. Enoch prophesied about those way back in the early days of the book of Genesis. So Enoch did have a prophetic ministry. Now, I do want to address this briefly, and I cannot get into the details of any more of this discussion at this time for the sake of time, but I do want to speak to this issue. One of the reasons that Enoch is held up to be the second witness, along with Elijah, perhaps, is because they are the only two men in the scriptures that never saw physical death yet. And that is one point that many consider a valid point for supporting Enoch as the second witness. I want to read where that's based from. It's based from Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, which says this, And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment... I want to talk about what that's telling us because it's telling us two main things. First of all, there is absolutely no reincarnation. That is a lie from the pit of hell. It It is not true, period. It is not true. You die once, and after that, you face the judgment. If you have believed in Jesus Christ, the judgment that awaits you is, is the judgment seat of Christ. And we will talk about that in a coming episode in Revelation because it's very important for us to understand that is the judgment for believers and it is not something we are to dread, but rather it's going to be a glorious day and we will see that in more detail. And you can also check out my series on Beaming at the Bema if you would like to learn more about that where I go into detail about that coming judgment. If you die, and you have not received Jesus Christ, you will face the great white throne judgment. You will be sent into the lake of fire, which is the second death, where you will meet your eternal doom. That's the truth of the matter. That's not something that any of us wish for you, but that is the truth from the word of God, and we must declare the truth. You can be saved today. I encourage you to do that, and that will not be what awaits you if you will turn to Jesus Christ and surrender to him. But what this is contrasting is with that second death. In other words, God, because of sin and the sinful nature and the wages of sin being that physical death and the wages of sin being eternal death and separation from God, but there is a physical part of that, physical death that all of us are subject to because of sin and the sinful nature, that is the only thing that we are appointed to, not the second death. So in other words, men are appointed only to die once, as far as God is concerned. That's his desire. He never, ever desired anyone to die the second time, to be cast into the lake of fire, because that lake of fire was created for only the devil and his angels in the mind of God. He never wanted one soul to go there, and he doesn't send people there, but by their own choice, people can go there, and many do. I pray that's not you, my beloved friend. So some people believe that this is one passage that speaks of Enoch being that second one. However, I'd like for you to consider this. At the time that Jesus will come back in what we consider to be the rapture for his church, according to the Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. There will be people living in that day and they will not see physical death in the way that we think of physical death. Normally, a person dies on the earth and then they are buried or cremated or or whatever. The body is disposed of. The soul and spirit immediately go to be with the Lord if that person is a believer. We understand a portion of physical death. We do not understand the portion, the the way that, that the person will be transformed and that death will occur for those that are living in the time of the rapture in that moment. Because Paul said in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, mortality will put on immortality, corruption will put on incorruption. And because we know that there are those who will be alive at that time, some of us may be alive at that time. We are very near the Lord's return. And so we know that those that will be alive at that time will be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, Paul says. So they will experience that transformation from the through the physical death, if you want to call it that, where mortality puts on immortality, corruption puts on incorruption, That will occur for them in that moment. It is possible that Enoch could experience that same thing if he is not the second witness. In other words, he could come back, be included in the group of those who are living at that time and experience the transformation then. That's all I'm saying. I'm throwing that out as a comment for consideration So I've simply tried to give you the scriptural bases that can support Enoch and many people believe Enoch to be that second witness. Now, the final one we want to discuss is Moses. Many believe Moses to be the second witness. Let's consider some reasons why. Moses was a man of God. He was a deliverer. He did, in fact, die. His burial spot is unknown. We find that to be true in Jude chapter 1, for instance. In Jude 1, we also see that Lucifer or Satan is arguing with Michael over the body of Moses because Moses is dead. The Lord came to Joshua in Joshua chapter 1, and the Lord said definitely, Moses, my servant is dead. You can read that for yourself in Joshua chapter one. So we know that Moses did in fact die a physical death on earth and was buried by the Lord, although in an unknown location. Moses was associated with many miracles bringing about the plagues of Egypt through the power of the Lord that was granted to him. So there are quite a few similarities here with Moses possibly being this one. Moses was definitely a man of God. He was an anointed prophet. Much of the Torah is prophecy. There's quite a bit of prophecy written into Moses' writings. So Moses is very, very possibly the second witness. Now, I want us to consider what Revelation 11 verse 4 tells us and see if there are other passages from Scripture that might, I stress might, clarify this a little bit more. The first place I want to go is Revelation eleven four. 4. I simply want us to refresh our memory on what that tells us. Revelation chapter 11, verse 4 gives us the identity of these two, although it does not give us their names. It says this, These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. So John is told the identity of these two witnesses. And he says, this is who they are if you know who these two are, then you know who they are. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. Now, John doesn't name them for us here in Revelation, but John is told who they are. Let's see if scripture might give us an indication of who these two may be. The first place we want to go is Zechariah chapter 4. In Zechariah chapter four, we have read this already in a previous episode. So I just wanna pick up the reading in verse 11. Beginning in verse 11 of Zechariah chapter four, let's read. Then I answered and said to him, what are these two olive trees at the right of the lampstand and at its left? And I further answered and said to him, What are these two olive branches that drip into the receptacles of the two gold pipes from which the golden oil drains? Then he answered me and said, Do you not know what these are? And I said, No, my lord. So he said, These are the two anointed ones who stand beside the Lord of the whole earth. So Zechariah here tells us the identity of two olive trees. And he says that these are the two anointed ones who stand beside the Lord of the whole earth. So in Revelation 11, 4, we're told they're the two olive trees. John is told who they are, the identity. Then in Zechariah chapter 4, we find out who the two olive trees are. The two olive trees are the two anointed ones who stand beside the Lord of the whole earth. Is there another place in scripture where we are shown the two anointed ones who stand beside the Lord of the whole earth? There is a passage that I want us to go to now. It is in Matthew chapter 17, in beginning in verse 1. Now after six days Jesus took Peter, James, and John his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with them. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. So here we see Jesus Transfigured, in other words, it was like the veil of his flesh was peeled back and we saw him in all of his glory and he's talking with two who are standing beside him. Moses and Elijah were those two. They were named. Now, if we understand a connection between Revelation 11:4, which tells us they're the two olive trees and then we go to Zechariah 4, which tells us the two olive trees are the two anointed ones who stand beside the Lord of the whole earth. And then we come to the Gospels and we have an account of two that stand beside the Lord of the whole earth. And those two are Moses and Elijah. Then it appears to me that that is a strong indication that these two witnesses may very well be Moses and Elijah. We do not know that for certain, we do not preach that as dogmatic, but it does appear to fit the scripture when you connect the scriptures together and let scripture interpret scripture. Now here again, we are very cautious. We do not want to go beyond what is written. The main point is not identifying their names, but identifying their purpose, identifying and understanding why there must be these two and what their mission is. That we will take up in the next episode. And I pray that these are being a blessing to you. And Lord willing, you can join us again for future episodes of Truth Tidbits. God bless you in Jesus name. Amen.